see. Lucien Ricard is doing something extraordinary in the T-Mag foyer. She is doing the same thing over and over again, and she has been doing it since September 2019, before the fires on mainland Australia drew the attention of the world and filled us with a long dread about what is to come and what is here already. Lucien's been doing this amazing series of drawings, 37 I think all in all, and, um, and she's just finishing today, I believe, or last night, uh, a beautiful picture of a smooth handfish, which was a, a creature that lived here in the Derwent um, and believed to be extinct now and declared extinct this year. Uh, and, um, and she'll rub it out. So, and then she'll start her very last one and her last one is not going to be an, uh, an, an extinct species, but something that's critically endangered. I'm Ian Cresswell and I'm a, uh, I'm a scientist, I'm an ecologist, and I live and work in Tasmania. But a lot of my work is actually all over Australia. So currently I'm the co-chair of a thing called the State of the Environment Report, which is a, a report that's done every five years and, uh, and uh, tabled in the Houses of Parliament in Canberra and it tells the story of the state of the environment over the last five years. This is What Are You Looking At? and I'm your host Pip Stafford. In this episode we're talking with scientist and ecologist Ian Creswell, artist Lucien Rickard and are hearing Andrew Harper read his words from Fury, a piece of writing which was published in Island Magazine issue 159 earlier this year. Extinction Studies is a work by Hobart-based artist Lucien Ricard that has been taking place at the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery, supported by a detached cultural organisation. Lucien finishes her journey with this project in January, and as part of Monophoma 2021, she will be erasing the final drawing in the series. This end point comes after some 38 drawings mostly completed in Hobart, with a brief stint at the Biennale of Sydney. Lucien began this work because she was angry. Angry that people and corporations and governments do not seem to take the huge problem with extinction seriously. My name's Lucien Rickard. I'm a um, Tasmanian artist and my current project is called Extinction Studies. So that's a, a 12 month durational um, performance that I'm performing at the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery and it consists of um, me drawing recently extinct species on the same piece of paper and then the moment that drawing's done I erase it and I start on the next one. So I've been doing that for I think about eight months already. Um, so yeah, sort of three quarters of the way through <laughs> despite the interruption of the pandemic. She's drawing dead things. She's making a long artwork called Extinction Studies. Lucien has been doing insanely delicate, detailed, obsessive drawings for as long as I've known her. She's always drawn bodies, animals, people. Her work is beyond intricate. It is dark, heavy, intense and intensive. She draws with pencil and she goes through many, many pencils 
with an intimate understanding of the correct pressure required to produce the right line, the curve, the grain of what she is drawing. You can go and watch her draw in the T-Mag foyer. She is focused and driven. It is very beautiful to watch a human do a thing they are good at. Work like this, hard work, to make something a human believes in to the best of their ability is extraordinary to see. I think that um, people who, who aren't artists or who are outside of the art world, they don't really understand how hard we work. They don't get that we do it five days a week anyway. And we work, you know, at least a work day. We work at least eight hours a day. So um, I knew that it was that, that part of it, the actual drawing part, the working part, was going to be um, the same as my life has always been. I, I'm trying to get across the message that we always work hard because um, artists always do. So but yeah, there's just this myth that we kind of like have these moments of genius and we throw something together and then the rest of the time we're like at a cafe with a beret on smoking or something, like, you know, that old stereotype <laughs> of the artist. I'm trying really hard to dispel that. She looks at images of these now extinct, now dead, now gone creatures, and she wonders about them, seeing how well they had evolved to be the commonplace miracles that every living creature is. She looks at the detail and sees the detail and draws it until the drawing is finished. Then she takes an eraser and rubs it out because it is gone, because it is dead, and because she is furious. I had the idea, it was, um, it was while my last exhibition at BET was still on the walls, and um, I'd had one of those moments where I'd really, really struggled with that exhibition and with the work because um, I'd had a few things happen in my life, um, like little catastrophes and health problems and stuff. And it was one of those moments where I should have just said, should have just pulled out of the show and just given myself some time and, um, I don't know, rested a bit. But I didn't. And it was a bit of a, I don't know, a, a really tough point, you know, questioning your whole existence. Um, but then, like, I was just watching watching documentaries with my partner one night and we watched like three of the David Attenborough ones, the most recent docos where it's still, you know, him putting across this um, this marvelling at the, the natural world but then there's also these, these parts of it where he's really seriously saying things are wrong and um, they're seriously wrong and we need to do something about it. So, um, you know, that, that sort of edge of foreboding in those docos. And then we watched um, on iView the Four Corners special on the Australian extinction crisis. I think it was called Invisible Extinctions, I think. Um, and then just to top it off, we watched Greta Thunberg's um, TED Talk, one of them. I'm not sure if she's done more than one. But um, by that point, it was like time to go to sleep. It was really late and I was just filled with dread about what was going on. 
Um, and also like a lot of guilt as well, like seeing a kid like um, getting up and doing TED Talks about the state of the world and me just thinking, well, I've never done anything and I've known about this my whole life. I haven't known that it's been this serious, but, um, you know, still, I've never done anything beyond picking up rubbish when I see it on the ground or trying to recycle. So I just started thinking about what I could do. And the the only thing I could think of was that I can draw. Like that's that's my skill set. <laughs> that's all I've got. <laughs> um, I can make a decent cup of coffee, but that's not going to cut it. So the drawing had to be it. And I was just um, thinking about what I could do with drawing. Um, and I was really, really bloody angry as well. Like it's all so unnecessary. It's just a handful of rich people ruining it for everybody else. And I, like it still makes me furious like right now um, and I'm just like well fuck you guys I'm gonna do these beautiful drawings and take them away from you because I know that's something that people value particularly people with money because buying artwork is a luxury item and particularly the sort of drawing that I do that is re well that I do at the moment is reasonably realistic and people can see that it's they know what it is they can see that that's a bird or whatever and and look at the beautiful qualities of its feathers or I don't know, all that stuff. I just, I wanted to take that away from people. Apparently, people sometimes get angry at Lucian for rubbing the drawings out. And well, they might, because that act undermines the way that many people understand art as objects to be bought and sold. And this is not about the end product. There is no end product. There's just work. This is an artist working, working like we all do, because actually that's what artists do. An artwork is called a work for good reason. Uh, but my understanding is that she wanted to highlight the how close we can be to extinction, um, but we can still do something. It's changed heaps um, from the original idea. It's changed a lot. So. Originally, um, I said that I was going to draw a species a day, every day, and then erase it. And so there would have been, you know, 300-ish species on that piece of paper if you take out holidays and stuff and weekends and whatever. Um, and the, the paper would have worn a lot more than what, what it has done um, at the moment. But um, I, I did do that for the first week, and they were much sort of quicker drawings than what I normally do and much more illustrative in style. and. You know that it was it was fine. I was managing it, um, but it it just occurred to me at the end of the first week, like the whole thing about this project is to get people to to feel something when I erase the drawings and to be sad about me erasing them, and hopefully transfer that emotion over to the idea of extinction and of losing species. But um, after the first week, I was just like, no one's gonna care if I'm rubbing out these crappy rushed drawings. There's got to be like the stakes have to be a little bit higher. So after that point, I just said, right, I'll just take as long as the drawings need to take to be a decent drawing. Um, so now they take between sort of oh, like 10 days, 15 days. Um, I think the longest one that I've just finished, that was about probably about three weeks, maybe four, God, probably about a month actually, that crayfish that I did. So yeah, they're taking longer and longer. Um, but I think that it was... Like I, I thought that if I got through lots and lots of species that that would be the thing that would really affect people, like the number of species. But I think in the end, um, 
I reckon that probably would have stopped people from engaging with the project because they probably just would have shut down once the, the, all the different species came rolling in and the, the idea of how high the numbers are. So hopefully allowing people time to see the drawing develop um, and, and also allowing me a bit of time to research the species and have a bit more to say about them to people and like the, the sort of storytelling thing that you do when you speak to visitors at TMAG. I think that that's more affecting than the sheer, you know, churning through species, hopefully. Extinction is a natural process. So extinctions happened many times uh, in the history of the earth. Uh, in fact, we've had five major natural mass extinctions um, over the course of the planet. And, um, and the most famous one, of course, is when, when, uh, when the, we lost the dinosaurs. So that's 66 million years ago, approximately. And, um, and that was probably, most probably, and there's lots of evidence to suggest that an asteroid caused that. Uh, there's been lots of scientists working to find out why things happen. Uh, but generally, it's a period where there's a massive change in the Earth and, uh, and a whole lot of species, families of species, go extinct. And, um, and over the course of what we know of, of life on Earth, more than 96% of all life has, has already gone extinct. So it's not, it's not unnatural, it is a natural process, but currently we're experiencing huge levels of extinction on the planet at a much faster rate than ever before. And that's of course caused by human activities. So some of that we can put down to climate change, um, and some of that we put down to other causes such as um, uh, the loss of habitat. So here in Australia, uh, since colonisation, we've lost more than a third of all of our natural forests and, and ecosystems. And, uh, and of course, animals live in particular places, animals and plants live in particular places. And, uh, and they, they're victims of the human, um, the ever increasing human footprint on the planet and here in Australia. Uh, and in Tasmania, we've seen some of that as well. A rationale of extinction studies was to create awareness and highlight the mass extinction that is occurring, largely due to the after effects of colonisation, industrialisation and mass consumption in Australia and all over the world. One of the problems with highlighting the problem is that extinction is enormous and it's scary. It's almost too big and too scary to see. Like explaining to somebody the difference between a million and a billion, or trying to understand the size of the universe. It's just too much for our human faculties to understand, even when it's right in front of us. So how do we talk about extinction? There's records in the journals of people who lived right here in Hobart, not far from where we are now, who were kept awake at night by the sound of the whales. There were so many whales in the Derwent that they were a nuisance. One person wrote in their journal that he thought that he could hop on the backs of the whales and get to the other side. That the, the sense of the, the amount of whales here. Uh, and of course they were pretty much exterminated, locally exterminated uh, in Tasmania. And in fact only in the last year we've seen for the first time a baby whale born in, in uh, close to Hobart. Very exciting, a lot of media attention and actually a lot of public sentiment of, of whales is fantastic. It's ours, our baby whale. In fact, you know, they had to stop people from swimming near it. Um, 
a complete reversal. So back in the day, the whales were considered a nuisance. That you know, the if you've ever been close to a whale, the 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 spray of a whale actually smells not very nice. And so people in Hobart didn't like the whales. They didn't like them. They were very happy that they were uh, killed for their blubber, and the blubber sent to to mostly to England to be used to light the street lights of of London. Um, so it is all about perception, it's all about value. And here in Tasmania uh, and in Hobart, we have species that, that, are, that are small, actually incredibly beautiful, and we don't even realise that year by year they're sort of getting further and further away. So, so things uh, like the, the 40 spotted uh, pardalote is here in, in Tasmania, here in Hobart, the outskirts of Hobart. But now there's only just a few small populations left right on the very outskirts of Tinderbox and Bruny Island. They're very, very uh, isolated and, and actually in danger of, of blinking out. Amazing, beautiful animals. The, the, uh, the, here in Tasmania, we also have beautiful parrots that are, that are uh, very small in numbers, sometimes thousands. The orange-bellied parrot, less than 100. And, uh, and there's conservation efforts to try and help them. But the biggest thing is, is really about, I think, about people caring. So once people care about something, then they're more likely to help. And, uh, and I think, well, extinction is such a final and we can't go back. And uh, so the ability to try and reverse some of the declines uh, is fundamental. I look for a good story. Um, so when I'm talking to people that come through the museum, there are things that you can speak to people about that will stop people and, and really um, hopefully affect them emotionally and start a conversation. And it's like the weirdest stuff that you wouldn't think would get to people. But um, one of the, you know, like successful in inverted commas stories that I had was about the, um, the Yangtze River giant softshell turtle which isn't a creature that you would think people would empathise with in terms of the, like the aesthetics because it's this weird looking thing. Um, you, most people would describe it as really ugly <laughs> um, uh, and like little kids kind of recoil from it when I show them the, the picture of the drawing even. So, um, but like that species isn't completely extinct but it's functionally extinct. So there's three males left and the last female died last year and she died during the fifth operation to have her artificially inseminated and she was 90 years old and the male that they were trying to breed her with was 110. And so when you speak to people about that, about the artificial insemination thing and how many operations this poor creature had to go through and ended up just carking it in the end, people really empathise with that, you know, particularly women. Like, And maybe it's something about child rearing or um, being mothers or... I don't know, but um, that was a story that, that seemed to, to work and to get people to empathise with a creature that they wouldn't just based on aesthetics. The most famous species lost in Tasmania, of course, is the thylacine, uh, and that, that was uh, uh, the Tasmanian tiger, some people know it by, uh, an emblematic sort of creature for Tasmania and, and one which has been lost only in the last hundred years. So. Of course, we have some beautiful footage of, of Tasmanian tigers. It's sad, it's poignant, and, uh, and that, that's the emblem for biodiversity loss, really. Um, 
The biggest issue, of course, is that it's what we don't know. So we haven't, because we didn't actually record everything when we arrived, when white people arrived here, uh, we, we don't actually know what, what has been lost. So overall, in the whole of Australia, we only have about 100 species that, it, well, I should say only, we have at least 100 species that have been verified as extinct. Uh, but it's probably at least 10 times that. So, so we, we, we lose species and, um, and we just don't know. So we know about the big, bright, colourful things that we've collected, uh, but the small, uh, and I, do, I don't want to say insignificant because they might be significant, but they're probably insignificant to one looking at them. Uh, we don't know about those that are lost. Bats are astounding. Small, dragon-faced wonders with their soft fur, their magic webbed hands, their baffling ears, the way they navigate and hunt with sonar, their precise ability to pinpoint small prey, the awkward, urgent, funny way they fly. That bat she drew, the Christmas Island pipistrelle, is gone. Lucien drew it large so he could see all the contours of its clever ears. I loved it. It made me so sad. Oh, you night dragon, you barely weighed anything. What harm did you do? None, no harm at all. Into the long night of extinction, the night with no dawn. Oh, little bat, fly dead through the night with no end forever. You are gone. I'm so sorry your stunning, beautiful, frail ears that could hear the flight of an insect are gone. I'm so sorry. I will tell my sons you were a miracle of nature and time. I will probably weep. And it's about protecting their habitat. Uh, here in Tasmania, the Tasmanian Land Conservancy uh, works to protect its habitat. The, the Tasmanian government has some reserves which are also important. But there's lots of habitat which actually uh, is in, on private land. And, um, and people who have uh, properties adjoining really good areas of habitat can also help by regrowing some of, their, some of the important trees, the things they feed on. Um, and again, it's about awareness, it's about understanding. Most people don't even know that they have things in their gardens that are, that are potentially quite rare. Uh, I remember actually years ago, a really funny story I thought, Peter Cundall, who's a Tasmanian legend, Gardening Australia, used to do a gardening talkback on, uh, on, on the radio every Saturday morning. And I remember this man ringing him up saying, I've got these circular holes in my lawn. Something's uh, digging holes in the lawn. And Peter did this most beautiful talk about, well, that's a bandicoot. And we're very lucky in Tasmania because we still have bandicoots that can be in our garden. And, um, for instance, the eastern barred bandicoot, which is here and, and is, rel is relatively common in Tasmania, is now extinct on the mainland. Once was everywhere uh, in southeastern Tasmania and has been wiped out by foxes and cats mostly. Anyway, Peter Cundall was going, this is fantastic. You've got a beautiful native animal in your garden. The man's going, but should I, should I poison them or should I trap them and drown them? And, and Peter Cundall's going, no, no, just be aware that you have this amazing, beautiful animal who's visiting your garden and celebrate and enjoy it. The man wasn't convinced. Uh, but I did laugh and I thought it was very telling that 
what Peter Kandel was trying to do was to educate someone that, yes, it's inconvenient. You've got a few small round holes in your beautiful lawn, but what's the price you're paying to, to uh, allow an animal to have that bit of habitat in your lawn while also then sharing it with them? So somehow we need to educate and get the sense that we can share the planet. We were talking about endlings. An endling is the last representative of the species. It's a beautiful, sad, terrible, final word. We were wondering if the endling would know it was the last. Lucien mentioned a rhino, and how she had read that someone suggested that the rhino would not know it was the last of its kind, but she wasn't sure. I don't know if the rhino would know it was the last, but I felt certain it would know it was alone. There was talk in the research that I read about that turtle of them searching for another female that was somewhere in the Yangtze River because it's a really huge river and there could, there could be one out there. But I actually hope they don't find her because it's, if they get her, it's going to be a miserable existence for her. So, and, you know, who says that it's her job to save her species? And I don't think that I would, I would volunteer for that role. No one will draw the last human. Tasked only with mourning, there'll be a weight on that slight being so great I cannot dare imagine it. I am so sorry, one lonely future you. This is the enormity that Lucian is trying to draw. Drawing gone, drawing alone. That's why she's drawing for a year. With each image, the work grows and does not grow, symbolising work without meaning, loss and mourning. There is nothing to see, and in the end, there will be nothing but a list and a series of sheets of paper marred with faint graphite spectres, some jars of pencil shavings and the remains of erasers. All this work for so little, but it is not about the remains. It is about the people who see what has gone and are moved by it, enraged, saddened, confronted or spurred to action. All this comes from a wild fury that had to find a channel, a desire to do something that would not be held down by the weight of sadness and loss. Bear witness to the precision of this woman's anger. Come and see. Thank you for listening to What Are You Looking At, 
a podcast produced by Lisa Campbell-Smith and myself, Pip Stafford, for Contemporary Art Tasmania. This episode was mixed by Brendan Walls, with additional sound from Blue Dot Sessions. We would like to thank Lucien Rickard, Andrew Harper and Ian Croswell. All episodes of What Are You Looking At can be found at contemporaryarttasmania.org slash podcast and on all good podcast apps.